Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Employment Law Matters. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers and this episode is being recorded in November 2020. If you haven't yet subscribed to my brand new YouTube channel, please do go and subscribe to it bit.ly slash YouTube legal. On it, I've got this podcast. We're slowly uploading back episodes of it as you listen to this. There are lots and lots of extracts from my LBC show where I answer all sorts of questions on employment law and other law from members of the public. And there are also extracts from seminars and tours and lectures and also videos I've produced specifically for the YouTube channel up there. My latest video that I've uploaded is on the employment law implications of Brexit. And very soon I'll be adding a series of interviews with leading employment barristers on different aspects of employment law. Subscribe now and make sure you get uh, notifications of all new videos, bit.ly slash YouTube legal. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. This week's episode of Employment Law Matters is on redundancy and the alternative work trial period. The four-week trial period that operates when an employee is offered alternative work in a redundancy situation is well known, but it's also widely misunderstood. The reality is that in most cases where an employee at risk of redundancy is offered alternative work, the trial period doesn't apply. And in that case, employers have to think very carefully about what happens if the new role doesn't work out. The trial period is set out in section 138 of the Employment Rights Act 1996. Section 138 applies where an employee has been dismissed for redundancy, but the employee accepts the employer's offer to renew the contract or re-engage the employee under a new contract of employment. And provided the employee starts working under the new contract, either as soon as the old contract has ended, or at any rate, no more than four weeks after, then they're treated as not having dis- been dismissed under that part of the Act, the redundancy payments part of the Act, and won't be entitled to a redundancy payment. Now, the dismissal doesn't vanish altogether. Technically, the employee could still claim unfair dismissal under Part 10 of the Act, but that would be an unusual move given their acceptance of the employer's offer. The four-week trial period is an exception to this provision, deeming an employee not to have been dismissed. It applies if the new contract is not a simple renewal of the old one, but differs in some way, either in terms of the work itself or in terms of the employee's terms and conditions. In those circumstances, they can resign for any reason during the four weeks immediately following the end of the old contract, and the original dismissal for redundancy is resurrected, allowing the employee to claim a redundancy payment. If the employer dismisses the employee during that period, and the dismissal arises out of the differences between the old contract and the new one, then the employee again is treated as having been dismissed from the old contract by reason of redundancy. So the only role of the trial period is to reinstate a dismissal that's already happened, but which was deemed not to have happened for the purposes of a redundancy payment by the acceptance of the offer of alternative work. It can only apply where there's been an actual dismissal. 
I'm going to say that again because the next thing I say depends on you understanding that clearly. The only role of the trial period is to reinstate a dismissal that's already happened, but which was deemed not to have happened for the purposes of a redundancy payment by the employee accepting the offer of alternative work. The statutory trial period only applies where there's actually been a dismissal. But in the modern workplace, offers of alternative work seldom operate that way. Considering alternative work is a key part of a fair dismissal for redundancy, and the options are normally discussed as part of the consultation process. So if an alternative is found, then it's often simply a matter of agreeing when the move to the new position will be made. Now, if that's decided before the employee is given notice of dismissal, then all that's happened is the employee's job has changed. There's no dismissal. Since there's no dismissal, there's no need to rely on the provision deeming the employee not to be dismissed, and there's no exception for a four-week trial period. If the employee resigns in those circumstances, it's just a resignation and carries no right to a redundancy payment. There's a similar issue with the unreasonable refusal of an offer of work, of alternative work. Under Section 141 of the Employment Rights Act, an employee isn't entitled to a redundancy payment if they unreasonably refuse an offer of suitable alternative work, or if they unreasonably resign during the trial period in Section 138. But this too only applies where the employee is being dismissed and the alternative role is to take effect after the dismissal. But if the employer makes the offer while consultations are ongoing and before notice is given, then Section 141 can't apply. The employer might then decide to dismiss the employee, but if it wants to withhold a redundancy payment, and redundancy was still the operative reason for dismissal, it needs to make sure the offer of suitable alternative work is repeated, with the alternative role starting within four weeks of the expiry of the notice of dismissal. Now, the need in both sections 138 and 141 for there to be an actual dismissal was stressed by the Employment Appeal Tribunal in the 2019 decision of East London NHS Foundation Trust and O'Connor. The employer's argument that the deletion of a role as part of a restructuring exercise was tantamount to a dismissal was given short shrift. What mattered wasn't whether the employee's role still existed, but whether the contract of employment had been terminated. And only then, when the contract of employment is terminated, can the statutory trial period begin. Now, it's sometimes suggested there's a common law trial period in addition to the statutory one, but it's far from clear that there's any such thing. I think the most we can say is that if an employer simply imposes a new role on an employee... That's generally a breach of contract, allowing the employee to resign and claim constructive dismissal. The employee, faced with the choice of whether to resign or affirm the contract by accepting the new role, would have a reasonable period in which to do so. Now, in a way, that could be described as a common law trial period, but there's no clear rule as to how long it would last. It could be longer than four weeks, or it could be considerably shorter, depending on the circumstances. The employer and employee are, of course, free to agree a trial period of their own. So if the employer tells the employee or has it in their policy and the policy is regarded as contractual, 
that he or she will still get a redundancy payment if the new role doesn't work out and they're either dismissed or resign within four weeks, then that's likely to amount to a contractual obligation. The payment won't technically be a statutory redundancy payment, but the employee is probably not going to be much interested in the distinction. It's perhaps unsurprising that a law that's been in place since the 1960s should be subject to so much uncertainty. And part of the reason, no doubt, is that statutory redundancy payments are so low. A 40-year-old employee earning 35000 a year and made redundant after 10 years' service will qualify for a redundancy payment of just £5,380. That's 10 times the current limit on a week's pay of £538. That's not really a sum that's worth contesting in a complicated legal battle, particularly, bluntly, by somebody earning, in inverted commas, only 35000 a year, because they won't be able to afford the legal representation needed. And, of course, very often, claims of this level of legal complexity over small amounts of money just settle or don't get fought. Many larger employers will, of course, have a contractual redundancy schemes offering much higher payments using the statutory entitlement as a starting point. That was the case in a case called O'Connor where both parties understood the outcome of the statutory redundancy payment argument would feed into a breach of contract claim that the employee was bringing in the civil courts. But even when the sums involved are modest, uncertainty about an employee's entitlement is best avoided. Those advising on redundancy, if that's you, shouldn't lose sight of what's happening to the individual contract of employment. If the statutory provisions on alternative work aren't being triggered, then the employer should clearly set out what trial period there'll be, if any, and what happens in the event that either side decides that things aren't working out. Win one of Daniel's books. Leave a review on the podcast store now. Thanks so much for listening. If you did enjoy this podcast, please do two things for me. Number one, leave a review on the iTunes store. Number two, even more importantly, I have a new YouTube channel. I want people to subscribe to it. Please do so and make sure you activate the notifications as well when you do so. You can do it at bit.ly slash YouTube Legal. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Barrister Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. This is episode 73 of Employment Law Matters. Bye-bye. Any information on this podcast is for general guidance only. Always seek legal advice. Please see full terms at www.danielbarnett.co.uk forward slash podcast terms.